no matter where we face, we must face the moment of truth, baby. And we're back. Another episode of the Stereo Bros Podcast. It's your boy PL. Although right now it's uh pistachio latte and oat milk seasons. That's the new latte. You're welcome. And what? we're not doing Starbucks, we're doing local black-owned cafes. Yes, it costs six dollars, but go get that. But it's your boy PL. Who else we got here? Greetings, 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 ladies and gentlemen. It's your girl, Hat Shatsu. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I hope you guys are doing the same. <laughs> Here you go. And we got a very special guest in the building today. I met this man, it might have been about 14 years ago, back at uh, UA then. You had to be there. If you was not in U Albany between 2005 and 2010, I feel bad for you because that was the era that changed the state if you wasn't you know greek back then i feel bad for you if you wasn't hanging with greeks back then i feel bad for you if you was not in upstate new york or visiting upstate new york or downstate for a city in the summer between them years i feel bad for you but without further ado i'm gonna let the man introduce himself Mm -hmm. what's going on everybody my name is alex rias i'm a queen's kid new york city native uh, justice, equity, and voting policy advocate and advisor, strategist uh, for the people, by the people always. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited for tonight. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, man. Got to bring the folks up here that, you know, can talk the talk and walk the walk. Um, yeah, so how I met Alex back in the day, you know, I crossed out for Spring 07 and then Fall 07, I heard rumblings of someone on campus that was bringing a new org through and everybody was telling me to like run down and check his temperature and that kind of stuff. And I actually bumped into Alex in the library and he was the coolest cat ever. And at the same time, he wasn't shook. Like he wasn't on some shit like this is my yard. But at the same time, he's like, but I'm not leaving. And sure enough, he brought through the LSU's shout out to all the LSU's that I rock with from uh from U Albany, you know, a lot of my guys happen to come through with them. But the LSU's was definitely like a welcome addition to the yard, and I think it, you know, folks definitely embraced you guys. But then I kept crossing paths with him in the professional world as well, and now you know here we are, 14 years later, and the man is out here doing some really incredible things, which we're going to talk about. I think his thoughts on a lot of the issues that we typically talk about. Our uh, pardon, phone is ringing. Uh, super important, but um, we're gonna jump right into our first topic, which is an important one. But things we miss about typically is old Brooklyn, but since we got a Queens kid here, <laughs> we're gonna talk about things we miss about old New York. So 
Um, one of the things that I can say that I miss about New York generally is the ability to go to different boroughs and get like a unique borough experience, right? I felt like when I went to to Queens in particular, I knew I was going to get like some food that I could never find as easily in Brooklyn, right? Like I might get like everything from a churro to like some dumplings. The only thing in Queens you guys don't have that is as good as like good Caribbean food, but you got like every other kind of food. So is there anything about old New York that you miss, you know, having grown up in Queens? You know, I will, I will disagree with one thing you said is that we don't have, um, you know, good Caribbean food in Queens. We definitely do in Southeast Queens. Uh, I'm from Southeast Queens, raised in, in St. Albans, Jamaica, Hollis area, um, you know, Cambria Heights, that whole area uh, has a lot of uh, Caribbean influence. And so we do have our spots. It's not to compete with Brooklyn though. I gotta, got yeah, I gotta admit, we're not trying to compete. But thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I was thank able you. to <laughs> I was able <laughs> I was able definitely to get my jerk chicken with my oxtail gravy on the rice and peas. From where? From where? In Jamaica, Queens, bro. <laughs> the only place I went to out there that was like renowned was like people kept saying, you gotta go to the door. The door, mm-hmm. you know, uh and it was mad regular. I was like, come on. <laughs> Like, the door is okay, but the uh, but Sybils is 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 okay. fire, you know, and that that's a that's a mainstay, um, you know, and, and I think it's Guyanese owned, but you know they we definitely have some uh, some fire food over there uh, for the Caribbean um, taste buds, but we got everything else, and you know that. So what else do I miss about uh, the old New York? You know, so much of my life has been uh, shaped by the old New York. Um, right. And as I, you know, and congratulations for, you know, to you and, and raising your family and, and creating this sort of foundation for your, for your family. It's like, it. I, um, as I start to think about, you know, raising a family here, I wonder if they're going to have the same experience that I had. Mm. And I know that they won't. Right. And having that unique experience between boroughs was one of, those things that uh, that was very true about our upbringing, right? You know, little known story is that I was actually born on Staten Island. Uh, I was oh, born man. on Staten Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that was the the place that my father, you know, he he's not from New York. He moved here for my mother. My mother is from Queens. Um, and his first job was on Staten Island in the hospital. And we lived on the hospital campus. And so that's where I was born. But uh, so I've always been going back and forth to Staten Island because he still works in the same hospital I was born in. Wow. And so having that Staten Island experience back in the 90s, you know, was a tough experience for a Black family to go through, right? Um, we moved when I was like three years old to Jamaica, Queens to take care of my grandfather who was you know, getting advanced in age. And so I ended up growing up the rest of my life in the same home my mother grew up in, uh, in Jamaica, Queens. And, uh, you know, the Queens experience versus the Brooklyn experience, my mother worked at SUNY Downstate for 20 something years. And so I spent a lot of time, um, 
you know, in the area as a kid doing my homework and renting, you know, in, in at the hospital or at the cat at different spots around the way. Um, and so I grew up with an affinity for Brooklyn um, as compared with Queens. You know, I have family from the Bronx, I have family from uptown and, and Harlem, you know, and, and from the Lower East Side. So I, you know, I've been all over the city as a city kid and ha- knew that I had to walk and talk a different way in different parts. Um, but, Especially in the Bronx, in the Bronx, if you got anything that looks nice, a beef patty, a sandwich, hide it. Cause they hungry up there. <laughs> well, look, you know, like I think it, it, it makes it, you know, it goes to say, you know, that like we are adaptive people from New York City. Amen. Adaptive, no matter where we go in the country, no matter where we go in the world, uh, because of our experience here, you think about the difference between Brooklyn and Queens, or Brooklyn and Queens, and the Bronx and Staten Island or, you know, uptown Manhattan versus downtown, uh, you know, it's all different. And you got to know, especially us as black men and black people growing up in New York City in the 90s during the heart of uh, stop and frisk uh, and broken windows policing. Like sometimes we forget that that's the era we grew up in. Um, I was a bus kid, you know, going from Southeast Queens to Northeast Queens. I went to school in Bayside on the bus. Oh, man. And so going from Southeast Queens, where I was the majority to going into Bayside, um, you know, where I was the minority, you know, every day was a shock. Right. But that's our experience. You know, so what do I, I miss? I miss that. You know, we, we just don't have that anymore. But we have something new. and. Um, I'm excited and encouraged by what is new and, you know, people change and, and things change and it's, it's hopefully it's for the better. I mean, we have to work hard in order to um, preserve uh, some things, right? Because we can't be displaced forever. Right. And I deserve to be here like anybody else. Um, and I want new folks to be able to come here and experience this place too. Right. It's a special place. So, you know, there's a balance we got to strike. And um, I miss the old New York, though. I grew up on old school Knicks and old school hip hop. And so that's, it's, you know, it's like, and it's hard to let that stuff go, but we got to. <laughs> I hear you. Hashtag, really, what you got for us? So I really appreciated hearing you, Alex, say that, like, you know, where we, um, like, highlight that we grew up in 90s Brooklyn. 90s New York City, which is a different area in general. I think everyone all over the world, because New York City, for whatever, not for whatever reason, but New York City in the 90s, early 2000s, we had the music scene. So a lot of eyes were on us. And so I think a lot of people know what 90s, 2000s New York City kind of feels like because the whole world was watching at that point. And when I thought about, you know, for me, to answer this question, like what I miss about old Brooklyn is going to be... it's gonna be um, uh, knowing, like that underground knowing that this spot, you're gonna get this kind of energy and this spot, you're gonna get this kind of energy. And like, I feel like there's none of that anymore. You don't know what anything looks like. Everything is either homogeneous because it's been gentrified or it's like kind of just really in transition. And it's really unfortunate, you know, because I love having that. It's almost like going to In-N-Out Burger and the people who are from, you know, L.A., they know the secret menu, right? 
I feel like in Brooklyn, we used to know the secret map. Animal style. And animal style. Okay. <laughs> we knew who was giving it up animal style. We knew who was giving up animal style. And like now we don't know. And I think that that's the hardest part for me um, to navigate. And it's the thing that I miss most about Brooklyn is feeling like a stranger here now. Because I'm born and raised. I'm from, uh, well, my story's long, but I was born in Bed-Stuy, lived in Crown Heights for a little bit. And then most of my life is in Flatbush. And so, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. <laughs> First of all, first of all, what we not gonna do what we're nah, it was something to do my throat. Here podcast. Pause. <laughs> pause, pause. I had the cough. I had the cough. Pause, pause, pause. Pause, Aroni. Pause, Aroni. <laughs> but pause, Aroni. Whatever. But um, I think she might have froze for a sec. Nah. So what I will say about the energy now is that what that's forced me to do. The one thing I like about the new New York is that we can actually go out in the hood or what's left of the hood and get brunch and get a beer. Right. And it sucks that, you know, people on certain blocks, like I was in my own neighborhood the other day and I saw like all the neighborhood tufts and they look almost like they're on house arrest. Cause they don't leave their stoop or their building. Like there's a dope bar on the corner that they will not set foot in. And I told a few of them before, it's like, yo bro, why don't you go to that bar? Oh, nah, that's not me, son. I'm like, yo, you know, for you spent $60 or $70 on that, on that gallon of Henny. You can go in there and spend $40, had a time of your life. Nah, nah, it's not me. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going in there. Yo, what you doing in there? I'm like, watch this. I'm at a time of my life, and um, I'm, I'm going to spend less money there than I would just, like, standing around with you. And on top of that, I want to go where the energy is at, where the vibe is at. So I go to the same two or three brunch spots because I know when I go there, they're going to see me. If it's crowded, wait in the car, we'll come get you. If it's not crowded, I'm going to get seated immediately. The food's going to taste exactly how I want it to taste. The vibe's going to be laid back. And when I talk to the managers and the owners and I say, hey, I'm from Brooklyn, um, raised in Brooklyn all my life, and I'm a product of the public school system. I'm going to sit in there and do my thing. I think that they have a certain kind of appreciation for how I carry myself, but they also see me with like dad hats, kids, right. And, and things like that. So in their eyes, it might be deemed like a safe one. Right. But for me, I just hate going to spots and I feel like the energy is dope. And then someone's out of place trying to overcompensate. Like I told the story before I was at one of my favorite spots. Um, and I'm at the bar talking to like the manager and the owner as my wife and I, and they had like a two for one drink special. So we're splitting drinks and we're splitting appetizers. And somebody walked in trying to like act like he owned the place. And he basically was like, um, I, yo, what's good to eat here? And the manager was like, do you need a menu? <laughs> right. And then the dude grabbed the, dinner menu at the bar it's happy hour right so he's like let me get a salmon um the the chicken tenders the the fish and chips like ordering mad shit and then he said moscato i'm like all right he's a whole bum because he's eating moscato with with dinner right so fast forward their food comes and 
He's like, yeah, I ordered the salmon. And the manager's like, yeah, salmon. He's like, it don't come with a rice. And the manager's like, everything is a la carte. He's like, yeah, but it don't come with a rice. And he's like, if you want a rice, you have to order that separately. So I bust out laughing. And more of his elbow on me, like, yo, stop. But I'm like, that's the energy that I don't want at brunch, right? Like, I don't want people twerking on couches. I don't want people eating salmon and Moscato. I'd rather you just, like, take that shit to, like, to Prana. Well, Prana's closed. But to, like, PS450 or some some other version of brunch that's more your speed. And it just let us people that want to indulge and enjoy the food with a couple of drinks do that. So that's the one thing that I like about the new energy is that I feel like growing up, you couldn't really find spots like that to really eat out. Like you had to go to the Manhattan, really. Like all I remember is going to Manhattan to go out. I don't remember really going out in Brooklyn, maybe like Applebee's or like maybe we went to like the Red Lobster on um, Queens Boulevard. Right. But there was nowhere in Brooklyn to really like sit and eat like in a hood like that. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They didn't really do that. That wasn't really a thing prior to like them flipping Prospect Prospect Heights and Crown Heights and stuff like that. It wasn't really a right. thing before that. Did you Did you grow up calling Manhattan the city? I did. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's Same. how I grew up too. And so you know, um, we had to go to the city. When you went to the city, you were doing something, you know, special, right? Right. And but now each borough has its own thing. And, you know, we can, I can stay in Queens and do my thing here, or I can go into Brooklyn and do the Brooklyn thing. It's like, it's each, each borough has its own like highlights now. And exactly, and we, didn't, we didn't, we at least didn't have that, you know, and I don't know what other communities were like, but I know that I felt like in order for me to be doing something, I had to go, I felt like I had to go outside my borough and I'm glad. So like, I don't miss that part of, old New York city. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I can stay in my borough and rep my borough proudly and, mm-hmm. and, and do what I do, what I want to do here and, and have it be an inclusive place. I mean, that is a, that's a benefit to, you know, to, to, to this time, you know, but there is, is definitely folks who come into, you know, our boroughs or, or our spots and, and uh, try to flex a little bit and, and are out of place. But they, they Don't learn, you hate that? They learn soon enough. They learn soon enough. Because they're going to have uh, Khalil over here like laughing at them. <laughs> <laughs> so that dude was a black dude and I felt bad. But at the same time, like that one was like, come on. But then on the flip side of that, I've been out and like some, some dweeb was like, yeah, you know, East New York, I don't know what the big deal is. Like, they're adding a train line, and they're going to basically, like, build it up. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I, I looked at him and, and his table, and they looked, like, embarrassed for him. Mm. And I was just like, actually, East New York was fine before you guys got here, bro, Chacho. Like, yeah. Yeah. chill out. Yeah. And yeah. in my mind, I'm like, if that man went to East New York, he wouldn't make it a block because he he would immediately get – I ain't saying he would get killed, but they would look at him like, what are you doing here? And immediately get checked like, hey, and he'd say something Mm -hmm. stupid like my dad owns this building and they would say, Mm -hmm. so what? Like, give me everything immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Like it's not, it's not um, that displacement is such a real issue because I think what people are feeling but don't put words to is the uh, is the pushing out of one culture and the superimposing of another. And I think that's what we feel most but can't articulate because it's almost like, yo, what the hell, lady? We built this shit when nobody wanted it. Now it's fly. And now you want all of this territory. And that's the whack stuff about displacement, right? Like, you know, um, I've run into a number of people. I feel it very deeply when um like any other native brooklynite when someone's like oh yeah brooklyn's great you know they have a nice bagel pub i'm like i dodged bullets so that you can eat bagels <laughs> <laughs> on the same corner like i threw nuts and we have to recognize how you know we we've spun that pretty well to positives but we have to recognize how traumatic that is right we have to recognize that we we and that's part of, you know, we spun it into, and that's so much of our culture is built off of having very little, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, that's it's so much of what we have that draws people to us in our culture and mm-hmm. our spaces is because we have turned, you know, scraps into full course meals, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and you know, I, I, you just, you just brought me back to some, you know, experiences that I had, you know, growing up um, and whether, whether there was a gun involved or a knife involved or, you know, having to de-escalate a situation, you know, and mm-hmm. my parents were fearful, you know, growing up, me growing up and, and my mom being a native, you know, New Yorker growing up through the 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, New York. Um, and you know, we were born at the time when you know Central Park Five were, oh, yeah. were being, you know chased down by the law, and you know Rodney King, and you know the Bernie Getz trial, and like there we grew up in a, a a period of New York City that was traumatic for our parents, um, you know, and we, we we joke about dodging bullets and and you know, de-escalating knife situations and the razors in the cheeks and, you know, like, but that was, that was real. But I hope that my kids don't have to deal with that. Right. And it's like, it it made me who I am. And I I love New York city, but I don't want that to be the norm. Um, Right. You know, we can be safe, you know, we can be safe in this place and still have what we need in order to thrive. Right. 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 It's a tough balance. It's a tough. Balance. I love this place so much, though. You said earlier something, Alex, that I wanted to ask you a follow-up question on. That every borough has the thing that everyone, you know, kind of goes to. I know what summers in Brooklyn look like, but I'm not sure that I've ever experienced a summer in Queens. Yeah. So what I the, mean, could you put listen, me on, like, Steph? <laughs> before you go there, listen. I said this before in the podcast, but one thing about them Queens girls, they had nice houses. When you walk in, they had the big screen TV with the wraparound couch, and their parents were very friendly. Like, I don't know why people let, let me in their house at 18, 19, and let me, like, chill with, with their daughter in their house. Me, I would never let me at 19 in, in, in my house. But that's one thing with Queens. Y'all had some nice joints, especially in St. Albans on Murdoch and 200 and what street was that? It don't matter, but yes, Queens. 
Yeah. I mean, summertime in Queens, you know I mean, like I, I, you know, raised in, in, in St. Albans. Um, but our house parties there, you know, growing up as a kid were, were, were nice. Our backyard parties, barbecues, whatnot. But, you know, you can go to any corner of Queens. You go into, you know, Flushing Meadows, Corona Park in the summertime. Beautiful. That's where the Unisphere is, right? Like that's an iconic place. If you haven't been there in the summer, you should. Because like, it's like, it's the lungs of Queens. Like that's our central mm. park, right? Um, mm. Or you go up to even, you know, in uh, Casino Park up in, in Flushing. Beautiful, beautiful park. Or in Western Queens, you know, Astoria, Long Island City, along the waterfront, right? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful places. Or you go down to the beach. We have the beach here, right, too, you know? Far Rockaway, right there. That's a you fact. Know? That's a fact. That's a fact. You know, we we have we have a lot here in, in, in Queens. And uh, my summers were very diverse because you can go from place to place, right? But, you know, there's there's something about when summertime hits and you start to hear the bass on Eastern Parkway from a car. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's dance hall. You smell the, the charcoal from okay. somebody firing up the grill. There's something special about, you know, I, 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 I love my, I love my borough and I love New York City, <laughs> but there's something special about Brooklyn, driving through Brooklyn in the summertime. Right. What you smell, what you hear, what you see is there, there's an authentic culture there that, uh, you know, that I appreciate. But, you know, you got to come through and, you know, at a distance, we can hang out in Queens. I'll show you around uh, in, in, in the summertime or, or you get vaccinated and we good. Well, I'll yeah. I'll take you up on that. I'm Eric. Uh, it's Jazzy, by the way. <laughs> Welcome. Pardon my uh, tardiness. Um, but I will say in terms of, I'm, I'm a Brooklyn native, but I've spent some time in Laurelton. That's where my mom lives. Nice, nice. And so I'm very familiar with the cultural diversity that is Queens. I think it's like one of the only places you can find someone of like any culture, country, mm-hmm. speaking any language in the world in the borough. So that's a fact. Um, could you speak to the cultural diversity of Queens or or your and especially your district that you're running from? Well, I, I, I'm not running anymore, but I I, uh, I can talk about the whole the whole borough and Laurelton Rosedale area is an important area in terms of what, you know, um, historically white flight was. Right. There were there were. Uh, marches and rallies of folks who were upset that black folks were moving in um you know this is the 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 sort of wave crash that came from redlining it hit queens hard um you know as as our in southeast queens this is why southeast queens is like a special place um for you know black folks and people of color uh building their own, uh, building, buying their own homes and owning, you know, owning a piece of, of, uh, you know, the American dream, so to speak, like Queens was a place where you could come, uh, and buy a home and build, you know, build your family. But there was a lot of racial opposition to black families moving in. And I remember growing up hearing about that, uh, hearing stories about that because my mother grew up through that 
mm-hmm. you know, where that was a very, uh, you know, it was in the air. Like there were literal, it was, it was dangerous to the, the white flight that was happening was, was, was dangerous because they felt, you know, in addition to the, the racial uh, overtones and undertones, um, their property values, they were worried about their property values and all that stuff because they were middle-class folks as well. Um, but, you know, that was all uh, a, a result of legislation, you know, federal legislation that, that incentivized homogeneous uh, neighborhoods mm-hmm. that is inherently anti-Black and anti-Latinx yep. and anti-Asian, you know, uh, and, and you know, thankfully the first, um, you know, or the, our predecessor civil rights uh, movement um, did a lot to, to, to end that to a certain degree, explicitly at least. But, you know, the racial diversity otherwise of Queens is, is beautiful because you literally have huge enclaves of folks, mm-hmm. right? You go up to, you know, Main Street and you're gonna see the Asian population thriving, right? right. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's like, you know, it's, it's beautiful to see, right? And I get to learn something new about another exactly. part of, of, you know, the world right a few miles from where I am, right? Or you come to Southeast Queens, you have, you know, like my family is black from the South, but you have Caribbean black, you have, you know, all kinds of people in, in Southeast Queens. And you go, you know, over to Corona and, you know, you'll see that's where the, the Latino population, Jackson Heights, you know, Woodside, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many different folks. And then you have, you know, you know in, in Astoria, the Greek population, Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, the Italians who are all over. You have, you just got so many people, you know, the Yemenis, the Egyptian, little Egypt is in, in, in mm-hmm. Astoria. Like literally you can find whatever it is that you want. Sorry. You can find whatever it is that you want in Queens. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And there's no other place where you can find that much diversity just a few mm-hmm. miles away. It's just literally walk up the street on Roosevelt Ave and you, you're going to find everything. So it sounds a like a beautiful melting pot. Exactly. And shout out to Jazzy in the building. Um, it sounds like, you know, the city being a melting pot is great. So I guess my question then becomes, why are people so butthurt about the city and the Department of Education renaming um, Rape and Pillager? I mean, Columbus Day from that day to Indigenous People Day, right? Like, I think that one of the things that sometimes kind of annoys me about the city and the state and just generally how they teach history in this country is that it's very revisionist, right? Like, they want you to think that Robert E. Lee was, like, your friend and that Columbus just came here because he needed somewhere to go. And he had corn with like some pilgrims and some Algonquins and it was all good, right? So I think that changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day or even bifurcating it and saying that plus Italian Heritage Day is a fair compromise, but some people are butthurt about that. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that as a person that's, you know, grown up in a diverse neighborhood. And I don't know who, if you really touched on, you know, your background and where you worked, 
So I think that we should probably, you know, go through that a little bit too before you answer that that question and give people more context into who you are because I know who you are, but I don't think that people really understand, you know, why we're talking to you and yeah. the journey you've had to get here today. Yeah, yeah, we jumped, we jumped right in, right? I know. And we were excited. To, we were excited. To talk. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, I'll, I'll just I'll start by saying I have I've worked in in politics and government for my whole adult life. Uh, my professional journey started in uh, in Buffalo, where I went to undergrad. That's where I first got involved in, in, in politics, you know, helping people to register to vote and knocking on doors to get people activated, uh, to understand who their local electeds were, um, you know, and, and that was because I opened, I, my eyes were opened to where the purse strings are in, in our society. Why is it that, you know, having grown up where I grew up, why is it that the roads are not well maintained here, but where I went to school in Bayside, they were. Right? Why is it that the schools, the quality of the schools are different in one place versus another? That, that was just me as a kid, seeing what was happening around me and asking questions, right? Why is it that the streetlights don't work over here, but they do over here? That was 90s New York City, right? That was, you know, we couldn't rely on consistency in, in infrastructure and things. And so I wanted to know, how is it that we don't have money for this in the government? And so that's when I opened my eyes up to electoral politics. From Buffalo, I went to Albany, got my master's degree in public administration, worked up in Albany for a bit, came down to city council. I was the director of the Black Latino Asian Caucus of City Council. Um, we worked on, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a a rewind real quick because really and truly my political career or or my career started when I was uh, when I was roughed up and stopped and frisked by police on my block. That's really where it started. That's really where it started. Where I was going to the bodega that I, Mr. Johnson's bodega, the guy who used to give me caramel chews when I got off the bus every Friday because, you know, he's like, you, you, you stayed in school, right? Just as a little motivator that I got from Mr. Johnson every Friday, he gave me a few uh, caramel chews because I'm still going to school. Right? You think about the, 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 the low bar, right? But the, the hope that our people in our communities see in us. Um, I got stopped and frisked by uh, an unmarked, uh, plainclothes unmarked car, hopped up on the sidewalk as I was walking to Mr. Johnson's uh, uh, corner store. About 8.30 at night, summer, um, I forget which summer, but it was in the summertime. Two dudes, I did not know who they were, were in plain clothes, hopped out on a car, and being where I'm from and being at the time that I was from, I put my fists up. I was ready because that's what that's how we grew up. Right. Um, and they 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 got close to me, showed me that you know, showed me their badge, but they were running on me and they roughed me up on front of aunties that were, you know, I was I was the kid on the block who um after school because their parents were still working they came to my house and i helped them with their homework then we played ball till the night came right that was i was i, I taught the dudes on my the kids on my block how to play ball how to play baseball how to play football i had you know things that um other kids on the block didn't have i had baseball mitts right that, that was something that not everybody on my block had um you know i had a basketball hoop in my backyard 
right? And so naturally, everybody from the block came to my house. And so that's what, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what, oh, they rich, they rich over there. <laughs> but they spent enough time with me to realize that we weren't right. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, but and, and and they respected us. But I got stopped and frisked in front of the folks who saw me grow up. Um, you know, in front of the folks who who had who put their hopes in me. And um, and to be honest, that pissed me off. And from then on, I have had questions about society and had questions about, you know, how systems work. And that has really fueled my educational journey, but also my my professional. So, you know, that's what fueled me to get politically involved in Buffalo, to get people to register to vote. That's what inspired me to earn my master's degree in public administration and go to Albany and work up there to figure out how the state budget works. You know, New York State is the second largest budget in the country. Right. California, the state of California is number one. New York State is number two. Number three biggest budget is New York City, right? And so I was like, I got to know where the money comes from. So I got my master's degree in public administration, concentration in public finance, came down to city council, was the executive director for the Black Latino Asian Caucus, worked on the stop and frisk legislation, uh, stop and frisk movement, um, worked on the Floyd versus New York City case by submitting an amicus brief. Um, in that case, Judge Shinlin. Uh, deemed stop and frisk unconstitutional. Shout out to Judge Schilling too. She quoted, she quoted the amicus brief that I helped to put together. This is before I became a lawyer. I was just helping and advising, speaking with all of my constituents from all over the country, all over the city. I was at the time representing 4.8 million people in this city. And so I did a cross section of the city to get the argument that, uh, by having stop and frisk run so rampant at the time, it was 685,000 stops in one year. Um, how is that humanly possible to stop that many people and come up 90% of the time with no crime being committed? Uh, and so we found that uh, through anecdotal uh, information, we found that um, people, regular everyday folks, didn't differentiate between the police your elected official, the mayor, the governor, if you were the government, you were about to stop and frisk me. People didn't differentiate that. Public defender, prosecutor, judge, you're the same person, you know? So that is inhibiting civic engagement, which is what our elected officials are tasked with doing. We elect them in order to engage us in our rights. And if this rampant um, toxic policy was standing in the way of that, we had to do away with it. And so the judge found in our favor, right? Um, you know, they were the, the city and the police department were liable uh, for these constitutional violations. And that's what brought body cams. That's what, what brought the Office of the Inspector General to the NYPD to think that the only agency in the city that did not have oversight was the NYPD. That's in, insane. But, so I worked on that. Um, many of the folks who are now our leaders uh, in so many different uh, ways, they were my mentors in the city council. We're talking about Jamani Williams, right? Who was a Shout out to Jamani. He's outside with it. He's always outside. And he's always been outside, right? At the time he had dreads, but now, you know. <laughs> I remember that. He's rocking a close cut, right? But he, you know, he was in city council. Tish James was in city council. Shout out to Tish. Right? Like, these are the folks who I was looking up to at the time. So you were talking about Tish James really quickly. Tish James goes to my brunch spot and she told my daughter that my daughter had a nice outfit on 
And we told her, thanks for your service. Like, she's she's regular with it. She's like, she's cool as hell. Yeah. She's outside, for sure. And, and that work really launched and propelled, you know, a lot of the other work that I did. I helped to start a, you know, nonprofit stabilization fund in order to help nonprofits to, to get the kind of infrastructure that they need in order to stay around to serve our communities longer. These are, you know, dedicated, this funds is still around today, dedicated to nonprofits that are run by people of color and serve people of color. That's still around today. I did that maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, we helped to create the first uh, public defender program for uh, immigrants facing deportation, right? The first public defender program to do that in the country was here and we were part of that, right? I then became a lawyer inspired by the work uh, that we were doing uh, on stop and frisk. I worked at the Manhattan DA's office for a bit, interesting experience there, um, you know, coming from uh, coming from where I came from, uh, where I come from, and having the perspective that I that I have, you know, seeing the system from that side, from that you know vantage point, um, I both felt like I was, um, you know, needed there, and I felt like I was perpetuating a sick system. Right? It was it was sort of both at the same time, uh, and there's a lot of power in those offices and prosecutor's offices. And there's a lot of room for change uh, with the right leadership in those offices. You know, Ken Thompson was really- was Rest really, in peace to Ken. Yeah, he was really uh, ahead of his time, um, you know? And, and I think we have some opportunities, especially in this city to get some really um, thoughtful, uh, good-minded folks who, who are community-minded in those offices. Um, you know, to, to change the way that we do, you know, criminal justice in this in this city. There's so much happening on so many different levels. And I just have been blessed to be part of all of it. Now I'm at the National Urban League. Uh, I'm the senior director for equitable justice. My my portfolio spans everything that I've done from voting rights and civic engagement to uh, criminal justice reform um, to, you know, marijuana legalization to you know, like listen, gun violence, right? And it, it, there's, there's so much involved and I get to do what I love to do on a national level. And right prior to doing this, I did run for city council in, in Queens and I suspended my campaign. Uh, but I have- Them corn bulls should have put you in there. I'm still tight about that shit, man. <laughs> fucking corn bulls should have put my man in city council. They <laughs> fucking bugging, man. Fuck that, I'm still tight. <laughs> You listen, you John Sanchez, couple of my my guys should have been in fucking city council because right now we would all be in flying cars with <laughs> with mad brunch. <laughs> Shit would be lit, you but know, nah. <laughs> we got a lot of we got uh, we got a lot more work to do. Um, thankfully, all of us who have who have tried to put ourselves out there, all of us are gonna stay engaged, right? I'm not going anywhere. I'm here, I'm outside, I'm with the people, for the people. So, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Elective office is not the only way to get it done. Um, and, I, and I know what it's like on the inside and on the outside and we have avenues and, I, and I'm working towards that. So, you know, I'm sorry for the long-winded explanation, but we've been a long way. We've been a long nah, way. Listen, like this is all important dialogue. And for me, like, you're saying that you outside and you actually fixing shit outside. There's other people that say that they're outside and all they're doing is 
taking pictures with other men and bottles of of liquor. So I'd rather your version of outside <laughs> versus their version of outside. Um, so I think it was important <laughs> for you to let people know part of your resume. And that was like the the uh the annotated version, like the the summarized version of it, but with that framework, what do you think about, you know, all of the, I can't call it backlash, but all of like the, the corny anger about them renaming Columbus Day to something I think is more meaningful and better represents the history of our state because the state seal has, I believe it's an Algonquin native person, a pillager, or excuse me, Pilgrim, and like the seals. So I think that I understand that the Italian Americans in the state have a very important part of our history, as do the Irish, but you can't necessarily praise a Columbus. Like the native indigenous people to the state are way more important than Columbus. That's my thoughts. But I want to hear what you think about, you know, them renaming the holiday in the backlash. You know, uh, before I dive really deep into that, we have to recognize, and everybody should recognize that we are on stolen land, right? And we are on stolen land that was built by stolen people, right? There, there's, that understanding has to come first when we talk about any of this stuff. The things that we commemorate now have to pay homage to where we've come from, right? The people who are here, us, we have to continuously reach back and get in touch with who we were stolen from, right? Um, and as we continue to live and develop on this land, we have to continuously make space for those stories. Now, I recognize that obviously it's about time that indigenous heritage is uh, acknowledged in a positive light by one of the most influential cities in our country, if not the world, right? That has to happen. Um, and I recognize that the part of the Italian American story is wrought with their own uh, struggle for acceptance in this country, especially in this city, right? Um, and there's, there's a, a history of conflict between our community and their community, right? And our city has to reconcile those pasts. It has to. No one wants to feel erased. No one wants to feel erased. And so I recognize the difficulty that some will have with this name change. And obviously I recognize the excitement that many of us have with this name change. You know, uh, we have to recognize both. And I, I would hope that our leaders are better navigators of this kind of difficult space, but unfortunately they've shown that they're not able to, to, to do it that well, right? And that's where the issue is. It's, it's everything is communications, right? Everything is the way we approach it. You can't, you know, you can't say one is more or less important than the other um, because we all wear different shades and have different lenses, right, uh, of experiences. 
but our leaders have to be equipped with the language to navigate. And, you know, I, I have to put, I have to put the, the blame there. I can't, I can't put it on the everyday person who feels now like they might be erased. And, you know, I recognize that it's real. Um, so, you know, I, I, I personally am happy with, you know, the, with the, with the name change and the recognition of, of the history and heritage in a way that doesn't, that doesn't um, glorify someone uh, who raped and pillaged and came to a place by mistake and then, you know, erased entire, um, entire legacies, you know, by his, by him landing, you know, uh, and what he did to the people who he first encountered, right? We can't, we, we, we can't erase that. That has to be brought to light. Uh, I, I would hope that New York City continues to be a place where everybody's welcome and that everybody understands that their history is important to what we do here. Um, One thing I would, so two things, in terms of everybody being welcome, you're welcome if you don't drink PBRs and drink, and, and wear flannel. <laughs> Y'all not I welcome. Flannel, but I don't drink PBRs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like no PBRs, no PBRs. And then, and then second, like Columbus, basically when he got here, he was the second wave. The first wave of people that came from Europe here wiped out what was St. Louis, wiped out cultural centers. And when he got here, it was more desolate. But that's because a few years prior. They came with smallpox and everything. So you're talking about sprawling cities, sprawling civilizations that were wiped out because of disease. So when he got here, he had less resistance. But then also the fact that um, how his holiday became, or how his name became so prominent was because when the Italian-Americans started coming here and were getting shitted on, somebody rewrote his version of his history to give them like a hero, right? So he wasn't really revered until about a hundred and let's say 150 years ago, right? So, but that's most of most modern Italian Americans backtrack, right? Like most of them don't think past when grandpa Vinny got here, right? <laughs> like they don't think past two or three generations. But if you go back five generations of Italians in America, they don't revere Columbus. It's a fairly recent thing, but most people don't think that far back in terms of history, right? Because 150 years to most people is forever ago. But to a person that thinks about history longer than that, that's that's short, right? Like the last big pandemic was probably like 1917-ish. And there's been like smaller ones in between there, right? So when you stretch it out and realize that 150 years is probably, for all intents and purposes, 10 years you realize how unimportant he really is to the Italian American story. And that's why for me, I want them to understand is like, to your point, no one's trying to shit on Italian Americans. It's more so trying to get them to understand that who you think is your hero is really like Thanos, right? Like he's not like, like he's not really like a good guy. Like he got all of the stones and went ham and it, it didn't cost him much, but it cost like entire civilizations being like decimated. So if, if people don't want to celebrate that, then they got to understand is like, we want y'all to feel like you're 
legacy and what you brought culturally to the state and to the city is important, which is why Italian-American heritage, which is bigger than Columbus, is a better way to commemorate that than to have people celebrating somebody that, if you're the descendant of the Algonquins, the Iroquois, any other tribe, you don't want to hear his name celebrated, you know? Yeah, to to the victor is gets the spoils. The spoils. Right. Yeah. And, and the history is told through the person or the who one who, who won. And you know, that is that's the reality of it. And we uh as as having been, you know, conquered people in, in our history, enslaved people in our history are building power back um, and lifting up and attempting, trying to lift up. You know, the, the civil rights movement has lifted so many people up, right? It was about, you know, opposing black oppression, but has resulted in so many people receiving access and rights in this country. Um, and this is an extension of that. Right, it's acknowledging the uh, the indigenous history of our land, and even recognizing and knowing that everyone who came here and struggled through this place deserves deserves a space. And I think you know you're hitting on a lot of strong points, but I, I go back to to this: everything is a communications issue, and you know. You can't force, just like you couldn't force, you know, people to to go to the, the 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 spot right there on the block that is welcoming to them, right, where they can, you know, uh, get brunch or or have a good time. If that's a place that they don't want to go to, they won't go to, right? It might be right up the block. You can't force anybody, right? They say that you can't you can't uh, you can't force somebody, you know, to the water to drink, right? You can just show them the way. And hopefully it's, it's with us, you know, uh, approaching this in a way that's receptive. And I think that that's, that's, that's hard to be receptive when you feel attacked and, 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 and threatened. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that I have found in my, just uh, as somebody who wants to advocate and represent people, uh, I have learned that most of my time is spent listening. And, mo and this is a cross-section of people, racist people, sexist people, all kinds of people who I've been in front of, they will all recognize whether we are on the same or different side of the aisle or of you know, our positions, is that they will feel heard because I know that's the gateway. Um, now, I can't convince somebody that Columbus is the nasty dude that he is, right? I can't convince them. It's not my job to convince them. It is my job to continue to fight for the truth and to recognize, to have my history recognized, to have my culture recognized and to have our place at the, at the table or to force to build our own table, you know, to have those resources to be able to do that. I'm not worried about convincing other folks, but we have to continue to, uh, to, to, to hear folks. And that's a lot of times the hardest part um, of, the, of, the, of, of my game. Not everybody's got to play the, the game that I play, right? But 
for long term, if you want, if, if you want to uh, to get where we need to get, somebody's going to have to listen and somebody's going to have to tell the story. And right now, we desperately are in need of folks who tell the story effectively and can and can be a cross section of this city. We are in desperate need of that. That's for sure. And I blame all them punk asses that didn't get you elected because <laughs> <laughs> had that happened, that would have been you. But um, ladies, before we transition, I want to chime in there on the uh, renaming of that holiday. Yeah, if I could, I just, um, you know, I'm, I'm, my industry has been creative placemaking and community development for some time. So as a result, I know firsthand the impact of uh, equitable storytelling mm -hmm. and what that can do to a neighborhood and what it looks like. And so um, I would also say that, yeah, to your point, Alex, you know, we're in a place where people, you know, some of us need to tell, have be brave enough to tell the stories the way they are. And um, some of us need to be receptive. For me personally, uh, I don't have, um, I'm long past, um, you know, kind of like, feeling bad about how the story makes you feel. <laughs> like, I'm kind of long past it, you know what I mean? And I think it's been to our detriment actually, you know, being this, um, not being, I don't want to make it seem like we're being soft or anything like that, but I think that the, the evidence is in front of you. For all of our Italian American friends, the evidence is in front of you. No one should have to relive a trauma over and over and over while people celebrate a person who destroyed civil, you know what I mean? Like destroyed generations of people. And I think that like, it's almost like asking a rape victim to go to the birthday party of a rapist. Like it's, it's nuts every year that we put, you know, indigenous people through this, we, you know, and, and it's not, I studied in Italy in, in undergrad when, when PNL says that their history is um, far greater. He's, it's not an exaggeration. Italy has a phenomenal history that you, before you even get to Columbus, you know, you're, you're kind of blown away. And I'm like, yo, why, why don't we celebrate that? You know what I'm saying? Because this other character, unfortunately, does not have a good, you know, there, there aren't other communities that have, you know, positive lived experiences historically under this figure. And, you know, if we are truly serious, if our allies, if allies, if, if of all of us in the human race are serious about getting to a place where we're more equitable, somebody needs to just be okay with taking the L on this. You know what I mean? And, and you, the evidence is in front of you. Um, so I, I personally am for Indigenous People's Day. Um, I think anyone's still fighting. To your point, I understand that, you know, no one wants to feel erased. But if we are literal, if the facts are literally in front of you as to why this should not happen, and in addition to those facts are the outcries of a, a bunch of human citizens, you know, who are just like, please, let's not relive this and celebrate this figure. I think, you know, we should do our best, you know, to find space to give that one thing up, you know, personally. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how I feel it. Yeah, the point you're making is 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 the important one. I think we're all making the the the, the point that there is uh, Italian heritage, Italian American heritage is so rich, and has deep rooted history, and deserves a space. And Columbus limits that, right? Um, the icon of him, right? The the his name, his aura, his history, you know, is, is poison for people, 
And to the point that you're making is why commemorate someone who, um, who for an entire group of people or several groups of people is a traumatic experience. Um, you know, in, in, in New York, especially of all places, this is indigenous land, right? This is indigenous land and there are still indigenous cultures thriving in, on Long Island, right? And, you know, there, th that proximity must be so um, painful uh, for, for, for them to, to see, you know, people fighting so hard to preserve his name. You know, I think that we, there's, there's a lot, you know, further we can go uh, by letting go of, you know, the, these, these false idols and, um, and going ahead with who we are, right? And, and, and representing culture and heritage and, and you know, in a, in a way that is uh, unifying. And these, these false idols really do stray us the wrong way. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying is, is what I'm trying to say. Building that separation between Columbus and celebration of the heritage is where the communications issue has to happen. And there are folks who we put in office to do that. And they uh, are having a hard time doing that. Well, you know, they, I, I'm a firm believer that they're always going to have a hard time doing it because they're not, their primary function is to win the office. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I feel like you cannot just walk around here upsetting people. Yeah. You know, and so that that you have to be sensitive to the needs of several communities and that is the challenge, right? And it's going to take the best of us to be able to navigate those spaces efficiently in a way that doesn't, um, continue the, the, the vicious cycle of silencing indigenous voices, 100%. you know, but also, you know, does give, you know, space for the stories of, of others who may not be indigenous, you know, because I don't think it's the indigenous communities personally that are out here like, no one can have any more extra room. I think we're just asking not to be violated. And I think that that's, an, that's, that's more than fair considering our history globally under um, superpowers like, you know, at the, you know, different, pick the, pick the period, but you know, if you're talking about Italy, you're talking about Spain, you're talking about Britain, I mean, we've been, indigenous people have been under the thumb for a very long time. And, and, and I have never, at least for me, picked up the, 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 the energy that it was a us not you thing. It's just a please us too. Mm -hmm. Please consider us too kind of thing. And so um, I'm for dropping the please. Yeah. Consider us. Period. Full stop. Talk <laughs> to him. And and that's and that's like that's like you know Black Lives Matter, right? Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that nobody else matters, right? Black Lives Matter means that you have been putting us to the side, and so we have to say, in a direct way, that we matter, and we are making you acknowledge that, right? And so by right. saying. In, in you know in, indigenous heritage is a day that we're now going to commemorate in a history that we're going to commemorate doesn't mean that anybody else's doesn't matter it just means that this matters too exactly and now, and now we have space right um and exactly. somebody had to rip the band-aid off right um and just make it happen and we'll go from there right um We'll go from there. Now I still cringe when I see anybody with the Blue Lives Matter sticker on their car. Like I, like I don't, I don't understand the point of that. And I, I cringe. 
I'll cut you off. I'll like not let you get the parking spot. Like, like you're a whole bozo with that shit on your car. But, um, <laughs> and in brighter news, uh, our favorite Italian American Andrew Cuomo has piggybacked off of our other favorite Italian American De Blasio statement that <laughs> New York City's reopening um, oh. ASAP. So it so as of this recording, it seems like by next week we'll have Broadway back. They're lifting a, a bunch of limitations on public gatherings. I think De Blasio announced it, and then <laughs> the governor tried to like undercut him and sidestep him. Like you could tell that Andrew Cuomo does not like Bill De Blasio in terms of like. If he can shit on him over anything, he would. Um, and De Blasio right now, he knows that all he has to, like right now, I think he's trying to just save what's written in in his Wikipedia. Because after his failed run for president, it's like he's just trying to hang on by his shoestrings. But I'm happy that the city's reopening. But I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on once you get the official go-ahead that New York City is officially reopened, you don't got to wear a mask, you can go wherever you want to go, what's the first thing you're going to do once, I think it happens, if not tomorrow, maybe like Monday or something like that, I think they're going to officially like lift whatever restrictions for the most part that are out there. So I'm just wondering what are folks going to do first once the city's officially like reopened? Hmm. I mean, I'm going to take a yoga class (laughs) because we haven't been able to get in the studio and, um, you know, yoga is a big part of my self-care regimen. So like, I'm going to take a yoga, an in-person yoga class. Um, and I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to do that. (laughs) Namaste. Thank you. What's that Jazzy? I said, I feel like I've reintegrated already. Like I've oh, you already been outside? Been inside these past couple of weeks. Not often, but I have. Um, I haven't really done a lot of things in closed spaces. So maybe, maybe a, a gathering of more than 10 people at a time. I might try that out, you know. But um, I guess I think it is all scary. I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks. Girl, Bring go back with that God. Money. Bring back the bag, please. <laughs> go with God, girl. You know what? I think I think I want to add something. This is one, one B. I would sit at a bar. I don't know if they're already allowing you to do that, but I would love to sit at a bar, like at the bar. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the city boys would love to have you at the bar, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I don't think I'm gonna rush back to um to to you know whatever the old normal was i think i i've i've adjusted to you know um to the pace that we're at right now i'm i'm good um i'm not in a rush to get back to very much i figured out my new workout stuff i figured out you know how to meet up with people you know it's it's i'm not really in a rush i think though that um i'm excited to see our businesses get back up and running. 
Um, you know, when I was, you know, when I was running for office and, and well before that, and, and now after I, I saw so many businesses close, um, and so many people having a hard time, you know, being able to provide for their family. And I'm looking forward to New York city being able to be that place where a small business can come and really, you know, build for their family again. So personally, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything, you know, you know, fancy. It would be nice to sit, sit at a bar and, and, and grab a beer, but um, I'm just really, I'm really excited for the businesses that have been um, hanging on by a thread. I'm really excited about them and the, the, the artists and performers who haven't been able to, to make any money, uh, haven't been able to work. You know, they are in a unique situation because they're both performers by, you know, night, and by day, they're like our servers in, 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 you know, in restaurants and they're doing odd jobs and getting, you know, getting by day to day in order to, to fuel their passion in performing and, and, you know, things like that. And New York City is a hub, a worldwide hub for that. And so I, I think it's an exciting time for, for everybody to get back to, you know, or to have a, a playing field where they can thrive in, uh, because that's what new york offers as well is, is is a lot of that so i'm just excited for for people to be i just i i hope that we don't have another wave coming you know um and i hope that people protect themselves from you know from i had covid and oh wow know, was it crazy it was bad it was bad um and that's why i'm not in a rush to get back out uh and and, and you know back to normal but um but i recognize how important it is and that's why also why I got vaccinated, right? Uh, in addition to believing in the science and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I had it once. I know a few people who have had it a few times, two, twice, Jeez. right? And, and I know I don't want it again. Um, you know, I, I had a hard time with it. And thankfully, I wasn't hospitalized, but I had a hard time with it. And it was very, 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 very scary. Probably the scariest. And I've seen a lot of things, but, you know, that was probably the scariest experience that I had about my health. And um, I wouldn't wish it on another person. And so, you know, I just wait, wait, real quick. Yeah. You get that I'm late text or COVID. Which one is scarier? Oh, man, I'm 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 not even going to go there, bro. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say COVID. We'll say COVID. Yeah. No, COVID COVID scary, man. And, And with some people. They had, you know, you don't, you never know what variant you're going to get. You don't know how your body is going to react to it. So I just, I hope people can get outside. And one thing I do miss, I miss like just a big like festival. I miss like live music and, and being able to vibe with the masses. Right. And that's one of my favorite things to do live music and being, being able to just hang out with the masses. And, and that is something I miss. And I hope can come back in a meaningful way because there's something about being in the middle of humanity that way that is just awesome and beautiful. But for myself, I'm good. I'm going to take it nice and easy. And But I'll see y'all outside. <laughs> I would say if you want that mass feeling, I was in Prospect Park last week with like my kids, a few of my friends and their kids. And it was just like a ton of people on like, their version of the great lawn and everyone was out there with like their favorite, you know, white claw, Prosecco, whatever. 
and food. We was out there for maybe one to eight, and it was amazing. Like the kids are running around, and it was just like dope. Like it's random music in the background. You have people playing their instruments. You have people selling ices. It felt like incredible. And then we wound up talking to like the random people around us. And it was like to me, folks were so happy to be outside. Yeah. That they're just like embracing. It feels like you've survived like literally like a life-changing event. Um, so if you want a kind of like semi-safe outdoor experience, I recommend going to like your favorite park and getting like six feet from everyone else with a blanket and a and a beverage and just like relaxing. Yeah, and, and going back to you know what we were saying earlier, you know, um Long Island City you know, has a great park, Gantry State Park, you know, we're right underneath, you know, right by the waterfront, Astoria Park, you know, Casina, uh, Flushing Meadows, Corona. I know, you know, the, out, the outside, I'm, I'm talking about a festival. Uh, like I'm Afropunk. Talking, I'm talking about, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Like being outside with, you know, in the park, normal, that stuff, you know, is, is dope. And I think that 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 helped me to get through a lot of this, you know, over, you know, last summer and, and last spring, summer and fall, being able to be outside, but at a distance, but be around people really helped me personally, but um, being around people, but at a distance, but I'm talking about, you know, the, the Afropunk type of uh, live music experience. That is something that I hope can come back if we're, you know, at some point, because one, they're great, for the surrounding community in terms of, you know, businesses and stuff like that. But two, it's just, that's what we're, we're social creatures and, and we want to be around the vibe. Right. And that's something I definitely miss. Yeah. Now it's, it's very interesting you say that the one thing I liked about the pandemic was that I reconnected with a lot of people via like zoom house party. Like I found myself on like, <laughs> Every Friday with like family, we do a house party or yeah. a Zoom. And I feel like now that things have started to open up, people are now, I'm like, hey guys, house party, crickets, <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> don't nobody want to spend a Friday or Saturday on house party with me. It's like, nah, let's go to, you know, bar X. But I'm like, no guys, would you mind just like house party instead? And like, no, no, fuck that. We outside. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, <laughs> I get it. but. Fast, huh <laughs> that time has passed exactly it's like yo fuck that like you was useful when we needed you but we good now but um the one thing i will say that I'm, I'm looking forward to is traveling because i like traveling domestically and, and internationally and i feel the strain of not having left i think i might have went to uh dc and jersey but not having like left and going on like a vacation in like yeah. over a year, I feel it. And right when this this the the country went on lockdown, I was coming back from Spain, and we got back like the day before everything locked down. So we dodged a bullet, right? But you know, prior to that, we had last year we canceled like three trips, right? A trip to Jamaica a trip to Mexico, a trip to Barbados, I think. Like, we canceled a lot of trips. And 
Now it's just like we're taking domestic trips, but I want to be able to like travel again. I want to be able to feel like I can get on a plane and not worry about like, damn, will this impact the kids? Like I'm vaccinated. Wife is vaccinated, but my kids aren't and they're four and two and I don't want them to be at risk. So it's still like still got to play it safe because there's not enough data on how COVID affects kids. And I only know one person whose kid had COVID. And she said that her kid was mostly okay, but I don't want my kid to be the test case on how that shit affects kids. So once we get enough data and to a place where I feel confident in that my kids will be okay traveling. And I see people traveling with their kids and I ask them, you know, how are things? And they're like, oh, you know, everything's fine. But I'm just like, I, it's not worth the risk. Not yet. Right. So that's the last piece that for me, if I can actually travel again and take like a, a family trip to like, you know, a cheesy place and put zinc oxide on my nose and, and get like a fanny pack. Like I want to be able to do like all the corny dad shit until I can do that. I'm not going to feel like I'm all the way, you know, outside again. Yeah, that's, that's true. I do miss traveling. Um, I did though spend, um, I did take a few upstate trips though. I did a lot more hiking this during all of this than, than before. Uh, and I love hiking, but especially, you know, during, during this, you know, it's, it's safe. It was safe to drive to a place and to spend a few hours outside where there's nobody else there, right. To be able to be out in, and New York, New York state has a lot of that to offer. Right. So, you know, I do, I, I had like trips um, planned, you know, for the year, uh, last year, I had festivals planned to go to. There's right. a lot that we missed out on, but, you know, to your, your earlier point is that we were connecting in, I was connect. I'm, I think I connected with family and friends in a deeper way, you know, that I, I didn't even realize how distant folks had been, you know, during our normal life. And then when we're all cooped up in our homes and, you know, and I live alone, right? So after a while, I was like, okay, I need to start reaching out to people. Otherwise, you know, it's just going to be me in here. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? So like, and, and my family members the same and friends the same. So, you know, I, I hope that all of this has taught us a lot of lessons. Um, about communicating with, with the folks that we that we love and about you know valuing what's important in our lives because work life changed right our work lives have all changed our, our family lives have all changed our health has all changed like look I'm a healthy relatively young person and I and I got it and I caught COVID and it's you know, but my father, who's worked in the hospital, he's he still works in the same hospital I was born in. He's been treating COVID patients this whole time, and he never caught COVID. So, and he was he was you know with them all day, week after week after week, and you know he would come home every night, and my mom didn't catch COVID from him, right? So you never know, and you know, but it it. And when I did, when I caught it and they didn't, you know, they were having to grapple with things that a parent doesn't want to grapple with. 
And I was having to grapple with things that, you know, me at my age didn't think I, I should have to, but you know, if not me, then who, right? It's it, it, If it's not gonna be me, it's gonna be somebody else. And we just never know. I hope that we've learned a lot from, from this because it's not over. You know, over half a million people died in our country alone from this. People are still getting sick. You know, people are still hospitalized. So look, this is why I'm not in a rush to get- Gotcha, yeah. You no, know, I'm not in a rush because I came too close to it. I seen it too close. And also, I was out here on these, you know, helping people get food on these food lines. I was out here helping people get warm clothes when the, when the winter hit. I, you know, I was out here helping people to get warm footwear, you know, because all they had, they ran out. Like, like this is, it's, it's real out here. And it's, for me, um, there's much more important things. And, and I think I've recalibrated and I'm, and I'm, I'm good with where, with where I'm not, I'm not in a rush for anything right now. There you go. There you go. This has been a, a, a great dialogue. Um, we usually end every week with some parting words. So my parting words are, you know, it's going into Mother's Day weekend. Um, I'll be on a grill, grilling for my mother-in-law, mama love, uh, my grandmother-in-law. Um, no, y'all are not invited out there in the, uh, the internets. <laughs> Uh, but just make sure that, you know, whatever mother, whether it's a baby mother, your mama, your grandmama, your mother figure, buy them a hamburger, like take them, like do something nice for them and just show them that they're appreciated. Because I think that, you know, women are, black women in particular are like dope and the cradle of civilization and they need to be pampered and catered to. Um, and a good Mother's Day celebration doesn't necessarily mean you're taking them to like an overpriced restaurant and getting them like a well-done steak and eggs, but show them like a, a gesture of thank you, right? Like childbirth is incredibly taxing on a woman's body and child rearing is taxing as well. So show your, your maternal figure some love this Mother's Day. And also, to that same point, please don't buy her Moscato. Like, get her a decent bottle of liquor if you're going to buy some liquor, please. 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 <laughs> Who wants to go next? I have some. I have. Do you guys hear me? I have some, some parting words. Um, it's actually in reference to Mother's Day, too. I would say that to um, all of the people that... Um, our angel moms um, or the moms who are waiting to be moms. What's an angel mom? You know, um, I just want to, so an angel mom, an angel mom is a mom who's had a, a miscarriage, an abortion, a stillbirth. These are mothers who don't have children in the material, you know? And so very often I being an angel mom myself, you know, I hold space for, for other angel mothers. I know that um, mother's day sometimes can be, can feel very weird. Um, because no one else sees you in that capacity but you. So I would mm. say that my last pick, my last piece for this for this episode is really just to kind of set send some encouragement to um, to the angel mothers and mothers who are still trying to be moms. You know, even people who have difficult relationships with their mothers. 
You know what I mean? I think all of that can lead to some really uncomfortable feelings. And, um, you know, we want everyone to be at peace on Mother's Day. So, you know, I'm just sending some encouragement that way. And those are my my uh, my parting words. Um, it's hard to follow uh, those. Um, well, one, I definitely don't fall asleep on the couch. It's not a, it's not a good <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good look. But um, what I'll say is uh, one in in commemoration of Mother's Day, please do recognize where we all come from um, and leave Spain and make space uh, for all types of experiences on that spectrum. Also, recognize you know the situation that we are still in and the situations that will, are soon to come. Um, be encouraged by who you are and where you're where you're headed. Um, I feel grateful and thankful to have even been here uh, on, and having this conversation to share, you know, part of my experiences. And I look forward to, you know, maybe sometime coming back uh, because the story, our story as a collective is only, uh, we're only in one chapter of it. And so recognizing uh, the long arc of a story, uh, let's know that uh, each day is just a chapter, just a part of the story, and tomorrow it is a new part. A lot of us during this time struggled with mental health. A lot of us uh, struggled with uh, physical health, and here we are. So tomorrow's a new day. Uh, let's keep pushing, let's keep striving, and remember where we came from. No, that was definitely one. You're always welcome back. So listen, whenever you wanna pull back up, say the word that's that's nothing um we definitely appreciated your your conversation um for those that want to support the work you're doing in terms of the equal justice initiatives where can they support monetarily retweet repost like where can they go to support the work that you're doing so right now um I am, I'm working on so many of these equitable justice issues for the national urban league and we just put out a uh, a plan, a 21 pillar plan for redefining uh, public safety and restoring community trust. It's, it's very important to, to me, that idea that when we rethink uh, our systems, especially public safety, that it starts with the people and ends with the people. And so it's an open dialogue about how we get the kinds of change in our communities that we want. So you can go to the National Urban League website to see that. You can follow me on Instagram where a lot of my work is, is being, is being shown. And, you know, it's also not all work, right? It's, I am part of New York city culture. And so I show that as well. I am part of the conversation and want to be part of the conversation. So uh, you can find me there, uh, but stay tuned. There's a lot more to come. Uh, the future is bright for us all. And um, there's going to be more opportunities for folks to get involved in what I'm doing personally and professionally coming up. Now that's dope. Would you mind dropping the uh, National Urban League's website and your your IG or whatever socials you want them to reach you at? Yeah, National Urban League is nul.org. And my uh, Instagram is A-L-E-X-R-I-A-S underscore. There you go. Well, folks, this is episode 58. It's the pre-Mother's Day episode. I want to thank Alex Rice for pulling up. Um. As always, you can find us, StereoBros.com is the platform. The merch is still up there. We may 
put out a special summer capsule. If you ask us to, okay, you asked, we'll do it. Coming <laughs> soon. Um, until then, you can you can grab our other merch that's currently out there. We still got dad hats and a bunch of other cool stuff for you out of cop. We appreciate your support. Over and out. No matter where we face, we must face a moment of truth, baby.